flu season is upon us, and on this episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll discuss the latest in flu prevention and treatment. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient, and joining me again is Dr. Stacy Lauderdale. Stacy, welcome back to the program. Thanks for having me back. So for those that don't know, tell us a little bit about your background and what you do at Vizient. Sure. I'm a drug information pharmacist, and here at Vizient, myself and my team prepare critical analysis of drugs, and we also prepare best practices of utilization of drugs. I know not only our members, but I appreciate everything you do. Well, thank you. So tell us about our current projections towards the flu. I mean, it pretty much disappeared during the pandemic, but now things have changed based on what we're seeing in other parts of the world. Right. So first, let me start off with the CDC disclaimer, which is we can never predict the severity and the intensity of any given flu season. But with that being said, like you said, in the Southern Hemisphere, they really had their worst flu season that they've had in the past five years. It started earlier. And so I think we are very concerned here in the Northern Hemisphere that we could have a pretty bad flu season. And I think they're even referring to it as a twindemic. That's because of the combination of COVID and flu. Yeah, and you're actually behind there because we're now referring to it as a tridemic. Right. And I think there is some concern there. My personal opinion is we certainly will continue to have COVID during the flu season. But my hope is with the vaccines and previous infection that will keep those hospitalization rates low. I am concerned about an influenza season, though, because we have an immunity debt. Right. And right now what we're seeing with kiddos respiratory viruses is they're pretty severe since our kids haven't been exposed to them for three years. And so I am very concerned about our immunity debt with influenza. Yeah, and I share your concern as well. I'm already seeing flu in my area, in my practice, and it actually started a lot sooner than I expected. Yep. So what can you tell us about the vaccine choices that we have this season? We have a lot of choices this season. Influenza vaccine is recommended for everyone six months of age and older who do not have a contraindication. And any age can receive just a regular quadrivalent vaccine. Um, If you're 49 and younger and you want an intranasal vaccine, the flu mist, you can receive that. This year, for the first time, the Centers for Disease Control does recommend 65 and older receive an enhanced influenza vaccine. And there are three of those. Probably the one that most people are familiar with is Fluzone High Dose. There are two others, though. There's Fluboc and Fluad are also enhanced influenza vaccines. And it's always important to speak to your physician or to your pharmacist now if you're getting them because there is a difference in the type of virus or antigen, if you will, that people are getting exposed with the inhaled and the vaccination. Right. So if we're talking about the enhanced influenza vaccines, the reason they're enhanced is they're more immunogenic. So we reserve those for our older patients because oftentimes they have reduced immune response to the average or the normal antigen level that are in other vaccines. So flu zone high dose and flu block both have higher levels of influenza antigen. And then flu ad is an adjuvanted vaccine, which is intended to enhance immunogenicity to the antigen. So the hope is that enhanced influenza vaccines and older patients will enhance their antibody response to those vaccines. And I do want to preface, it's quite safe to get your COVID booster or your bivalent booster and your flu at the same time. Yeah, the CDC recommends that you can receive them at the same time. I think it's also important for our listeners to realize that even though similar to COVID that we have Paxlovid and we have oral medications, the best thing is for prevention is to get the vaccine and not really be dependent on the medications if you do get the flu. 
Absolutely agree. If you look at the influenza vaccine, very similar to the COVID-19 vaccine, it may not prevent symptomatic influenza illness. I think it's very important to point that out, but it does reduce the incidence of progression to severe illness, which is very important. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's key that people remember that similar to you getting your bivalent COVID vaccination, it doesn't mean you prevent getting an infection. It just prevents severe disease. I've had the pleasure of having the flu and I'm being sarcastic by saying pleasure. It was awful. And truth is, you won't be able to work. You can't function. And worst of all, you are infectious to very vulnerable people around your family. So similar to COVID, this is something you do not want to get. So tell us about Tamiflu. What exactly is it approved for? Because I've seen some pretty radical use in my career. So Tamiflu is approved for the treatment of uncomplicated influenza. And it's also approved for prophylaxis. So if you get exposed to someone who has influenza. Are there other medications like Tamiflu? So Tamiflu is a neuroamidase inhibitor, and there are actually three of those on the market, probably two of which most people have never heard of. There's an inhaled one and an IV one. We never use those. The other one is Zofluza, which is a endonuclease inhibitor. So it works a little bit differently, and it's relatively new compared to Tamiflu. And because it's relatively new, it means it's relatively expensive versus Tamiflu. That's right. So Tamiflu is available as a generic. So it is much cheaper. Zofluza is still branded. For patients, the most obvious difference between those two is Zofluza is a one-time dose. Patient convenience, adherence comes to mind, but again, much more expensive. Is there any data that shows any superiority? So the main effect of most of these oral antivirals is just reduction in symptom duration. And for that endpoint, no difference between Zofluza and Tamiflu. Really, the only advantage Zofluza has shown is a reduction in viral load earlier and a reduction or a cessation of viral shedding earlier than Tamiflu. Now, what that means clinically, we don't know because there hasn't been shown to be a clinical difference in trials. It could mean that it reduces person-to-person transmission better earlier, but again, this just hasn't been seen in clinical trials. So at this point, I'd say really no clinical difference between these two drugs. I think that's also important for our listeners to realize as well. And does Seflusa have a indication for prophylaxis as well? It does. So is Tamiflu for everyone, Stacey? Well, it depends on if you want the short or the long answer. Let's go with the medium one. The medium <laughs> answer, okay. Again, you have to understand when you take Tamiflu, what am I taking it for? And you're taking it to reduce symptom duration by about a half a day. So you're going from maybe seven days to maybe six and a half days. So for the average healthy person, do you need Tamiflu? Probably not, because you're also going to have adverse events. But there are three groups the CDC says you absolutely should use Tamiflu in. And those are patients who are hospitalized with influenza, patients who have a severe progressive course of influenza, and those individuals, just like we use COVID-19 therapies for, that are at high risk for progressing to severe illness. Those would be your three groups that you would want to prioritize Tamiflu. Now, for your healthy patients who don't have any of those risk factors or don't have severe disease, you can consider using it. You need to be aware that they know what the effect of Tamiflu is. You also need to make sure that they're aware that they could have side effects as well. And they need to balance the risk versus benefit of taking Tamiflu. Can you give us a high level what the common side effects are to Tamiflu? Sure. So the most common ones are GI distress, nausea, vomiting, headache. So those are kind of the most common trio of side effects we see. And also common symptoms of the flu. There you go. 
<laughs> but I think uh, what's key to remember here is that vaccines are available for prevention. They don't completely eliminate the chances of getting infected, but they prevent you from getting really sick and more importantly, people around you sick as well. Agreed. So there's a specific window in which we should prescribe flu medications like Tamiflu, right? Right. So we usually say we need to initiate these within 48 hours of symptom onset. You don't have to wait for a positive influenza. If there's high suspicion, you can go ahead and get them started. There are certain subgroups where we've tested outside that 48 hours, but generally in your community dwelling healthy individual, 48 hours. When should we consider using this drug as a prophylaxis? Time from exposure? What are the indications? You know, you should go ahead and start it as soon as you know that there is exposure to someone with influenza. One of the things that I think it's important to note about prophylactic Tamiflu is that in randomized controlled trials, we know that it absolutely reduces the incidence of symptomatic influenza. So you're not going to feel like you have influenza, but it doesn't reduce the incidence of asymptomatic influenza. So be aware that you could still be transmitting when you're on prophylactic Tamiflu. So I just think you have to be cautious around people when you're on prophylactic Tamiflu. So what should people do if they continue to have or start to develop flu-like symptoms after taking these medications? If you're on prophylaxis and you start developing flu-like symptoms, there's the case that can be made that you're undertreating yourself. It's a lower dose. Prophylaxis is a lower dose than treatment. So I would advise people to stop, go back to their physician, get a treatment course so that you don't undertreat and, you know, increase the potential for antiviral resistance. Is there a rebound similar that we saw with Paxlovid? If there is, I haven't heard of it. Should women who are pregnant or nursing be taking Tamiflu? So that is the only oral influenza antiviral that's recommended in pregnancy is Tamiflu because it's been out for many years. It's been evaluated. It's been found to be safe and effective. And we know during pregnancy, you're kind of in that state of kind of immunosuppressed when you're pregnant. So certainly pregnant women can experience severe illness. So Tamiflu is certainly safe in pregnant women. Should the same argument be used because of their immunodeficiency, which occurs naturally with pregnancy, should be the main reason they seek out getting vaccinated as well? Yeah, I 100% agree. Being pregnant before, I got a lot sicker when I was pregnant (laughs) than when I'm non-pregnant. So yes, absolutely. We spoke about how the side effects of Tamiflu are quite similar to symptoms that we see with the flu itself, but are there any serious side effects that I should consider? Yeah, so with Tamiflu, we have seen dose-related psychiatric events, especially in kids. So that's a possibility. If you look at the Cochrane Review that was published in 2014, they saw a signal towards renal events, and there's a potential for hypersensitivity reactions as well. Similar to Paxlovid, these are not benign medications. They can have a significant contraindication with certain medications, particularly cardiac medications. As a prescriber or even as a patient, is there other contraindications that I need to be aware of if I'm getting Tamiflu? So Tamiflu is relatively free of drug interactions. You just don't want to receive it with a Flumis vaccine, which you probably wouldn't ever do. With Zofluza, it interacts with polyvalent cations. So you're not going to want to take it with an antacid. You're not going to take it with a magnesium citrate, et cetera. But again, they're relatively free of drug interactions compared to like a Paxlovid. How about with the vaccine for flu? Is there any contraindication with other medications? I'm not aware of, but I was curious. I'm not aware of either. Yeah, I don't believe so. So in summary, what would you tell providers and patients about getting ready for the flu this season? So this is what I would say. We haven't had an influenza season during the pandemic. And as a result, we have an immunity debt. And certainly if we have an influenza season, you don't want to 
face influenza without a vaccine on board. So if you do not have a contraindication to receiving an influenza vaccine, please go and get an influenza vaccine. Most pharmacies around the nation are offering them in addition to your physician's offices. If, however, you get vaccinated and you unfortunately come down with a case of symptomatic influenza, which is never fun, and you are at high risk of progressing to severe illness, please, please, please go and get a prescription for an oral antiviral. Start it early within 48 hours of symptom onset. If you're a healthy person, not at high risk, then you've got to weigh your risks and benefits about whether or not you want to get and take an oral antiviral with some of those side effects that you can experience. Yeah, I couldn't stress that more and I couldn't agree with you more as well since we've been isolating for the last two years, particularly our younger children have not been exposed to the usual loads of viruses out there so they haven't developed the immunity. The same thing could be hold true for ourselves. We haven't been exposed, which is why we're seeing other viral conditions like RSV. The important thing to do is to protect yourselves and your loved ones as well by getting vaccinated and just using precaution, if you will. A hundred percent agree. Stacy, great episode. And thanks for the discussion. And to our listeners, you can contact Stacy at her email address in the research section of our podcast page. And if you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice, or simply just want to send us your comments, please contact me at our email at modernpracticepodcast at visiantinc.com. We've posted a link in our research section as well. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.